Lord, I thank you for allowing us to gather again in this place that we could worship you together, that we could lift up praises to your name. Lord, that is such an amazing and wonderful gift that you've blessed us with. Lord, that we can gather unashamed and not have to worry about if someone's going to come bursting in the doors to chop our heads off. Lord, I pray that you would raise up a people here that even if they did, we would stand for you. Lord, whatever may come, that we would not deny you. Because without you, our vanity of vanities. Without you, everything is meaningless, pointless. Lord, as we open up your word tonight, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move us, that you would move our hearts, that you would stir us, or that your word would drive us to repentance, that your word would drive us to the feet of the cross, Lord, that we would have no other place to look except for Christ and Christ alone, and that we would not be so foolish as to think that we could place our hope in anything else other than Christ and Christ alone. Lord, I thank you again for the privilege of standing before your church. Lord, I ask that you would seal my lips, that I would speak nothing of myself. Let your let your word be spoken tonight. Let let your Holy Spirit move us, Lord. If you do not move, then we will be unmoved. But if you move among us, then there is not one of us who could stand still in the midst of your power and in the midst of your glory. Lead us now as we study your word. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Um, we're going to see how it works. And then if it works well, then maybe we continue on. If it doesn't, then we'll throw it out and we'll try something a little different next time. So I've been, over the last however many weeks, I've been kind of asking you to be in God's Word, to just dig in, to spend time in it for yourself, to value it as something that is valuable, something that's worthwhile to do. And in in doing that, I understand that oftentimes we find ourselves, when we pick this thing up, sometimes we struggle with it, right? Sometimes we pick up this book and we read the words that are in it and we're like, you know, like what what will tend to happen is, well, maybe I don't feel smart enough to read it or maybe I don't feel, you know, like studied enough. And so we'll avoid it, we'll put it down because when we do pick it up, it seems to confuse us more than it more than it makes sense to us sometimes. So what I want to do tonight is I want to, we're going to read through the passage, verse 15 through verse 25. And what I, what I want to do, and it, it may just be crazy when I'm done and y'all, y'all can let me know and be like, that helped me out, zero, don't do that again. But hopefully it will help you out. So what I'm going to do is as I read through this, I'm going to stop and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of try to share with you what goes on in my head whenever I read this book, right? 
So you guys open this thing up and, and, and oftentimes you may find, well, this is difficult to read or to understand or to, you know, I don't, I don't know that I'm getting out of it what it seems like other people may be getting out of it. How is it that they do what it is that they do, right? What, what's, what's going on there? What's going on in their heads, right? So I want to let you take a peek in my head. It may be scary, <laughs> right? I want to let you look in there. As I read through this, I'm going to just tell you, like, first time, like, what I'm thinking. Like, as I see these things, right? So, one thing that I want us to understand as we do this and as I do this, one thing that I want you to understand first off is every question that I ask, it it may or may not be a good question, right? But... I think that we should ask questions. When we come to this and we read it, we should dig in and we should ask questions. Whether or not the question sounds dumb now or whether or not we find out later that the question was dumb, ask the questions. Dig in. Study to show thyself approved. Right? So as we go through this, I'm going to be throwing out questions that I think when I read this text, right? And, and, and I would challenge you that you'll probably not find many more books as confusing as Ecclesiastes in this entire thing. So if we can do this kind of thing here, then we get to what you would probably consider easier passages of text. If we apply these same kind of things, then, then it doesn't take a rocket scientist Right? Again, we look through Scripture and we see fishermen. Right? We see ordinary people doing extraordinary things because God is moving in them. Right? So, so let's, let's dig in and, and it may, it may seem weird the first pass through. Okay? With all the stopping and the asking of questions. But I, I've already put the warning out there for you. And then we're going to go through a second time and we're going to start trying to pull these these what may seem like just random thoughts together so that you maybe get a picture of how it is that as I stand up here and preach, like the questions that I've asked myself to come to the conclusions and to the points that I've come to here. And as we ask these questions, one thing that I always do in my mind is when I ask myself a question, I'm asking myself this and I'm trying from all that I've studied or all that I know Scripture to say or that I think that it says, I'm trying to examine my question by the full picture that I have of Scripture, right? So sometimes in doing this, a passage of text may come to mind, right? And the same will be true for you. And it may not be the exact same passage of text that comes to mind when I read it. What you'll find is that oftentimes as I'm reading through Ecclesiastes and passages of text come to mind, they're going to come from probably two to three primary books. One's going to be Romans. Why? Because I spent like five years and that was like primary study. Like all I was doing was studying the book of Romans when I was studying the Bible. So of course the things that we spend time in, we're going to draw from. Other places, First, Second Timothy and the books of First and Second Corinthians are going to be books that you'll find if you were to go back and review all the all the videos of the messages that have been preached through Ecclesiastes at this point, you'll find that most of the references into the New Testament fall into fall into those books. So what I what I want to encourage you there is use what you know. As you study scripture, use what you know. Let that evolve. Let we're growing. As Christians, we're growing. Our understanding of God is growing. So when we ask questions, if we had the answers to all the questions before we asked them, you know what we would be? We would be all-knowing. And there would be no need to study this because your name would be God. But you're not. 
So you're growing in your understanding. So it's good to ask questions. It's good to let your understanding of Scripture grow as God moves you further and further in your life down the path of holiness and sanctification. Alright? So let's go. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15. I've seen everything in this meaningless life. What life? Meaningless. Including the death of good young people and the long life of wicked people. So when I read this, I say, well, who's good people? Right? As I'm reading this passage of text, I'm saying there's two people that, that seem to be talked about here. One's good, and they seem to be young. And then one's wicked, and they, they seem to have long life. And this is something that's seen by him. Verse 16, so don't be too good or too wise. And I, again, as we're reading this, am I the only one that I see this and I think, too good? Really? Don't be too good? <laughs> Is the Bible telling us not, not to be too good or too wise? Is that what it's saying? Like, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, what are you thinking? This is why when I read this book years past, I thought, why in the world was that one included in? Did anybody read that thing? It says some seemingly crazy things. And just in case you were wondering, he says, why destroy yourself? So the end of verse 16, why destroy yourself? So it would appear, whatever he's saying, if you're too good or if you're too wise, that this could lead to destruction for you? This is the questions. They're going on in my head when I read this. And I'm thinking, trying to analyze that with the rest of Scripture that I know. And coming to conclusions and digging on through because of that. So let's, let's read on. So he's talked about good people. And he's talked about being good and wise. And he's talked about here in verse 17, On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. So when I read this, one of the things that comes to mind, maybe it's just me, is he saying here that I can be just a little wicked? It, it, it would Don't be too wicked. But maybe just a tiny bit? Is that what he's saying? As long as I don't go to the extreme, is, is that what he's saying here? Don't be too wicked either? Don't be a fool. So wickedness and foolishness here seem to be tied together. Why die before your time? Another thing. So I would then say, well, die before your time. Didn't it, didn't it just say something about living long? In verse 15, does the, the end of verse 15 not say that he's seen the long life of wicked people? So he's seen the long life of wicked people, and then like a verse later he's saying, be careful, don't be too wicked. Because if you're too wicked, what? You'll die before your time. This, when I read this, this is awfully confusing. So, can I be a little wicked? And if I'm a little wicked, I can live a long time? And then, two wicked's going to bump me over the, th- bump me over the threshold? And, well, 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 what exactly is too wicked? 
These are things that I would think as I, as I read this passage or text, what's too wicked? What's going to be so wicked that I die before my time? At the end of verse 17 there, verse 18, pay attention to these instructions for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. And I, I think again to myself, I got you, don't go too wicked, but really we should avoid the extreme of being too good or too righteous, some versions may read it, or too wise. Is that an extreme that, that I want to avoid? As, I, as, as y'all are reading this, are these not questions that should naturally come to our minds as we read this? What does he mean by being too good or too wicked? Too wise? Pay attention. To these instructions. So it would appear there that what he's been saying beforehand leading up to this is some kind of instruction or some kind of maybe wisdom on the way that we should approach life. Verse 19, one wise person is stronger than ten leading citizens of the town. Now, if you've read ahead, maybe you got here and you thought, like I thought, well that seems awfully out of place now, doesn't it? You just tell me not to be too wise, and then you tell me how good wisdom is? Because, what, verse 19, one wise person is stronger than the ten leading citizens of the town. Yeah, sure, unless you're too wise. Right? Unless you're too wise, and then that leads to destruction. And now I understand why we close this thing up, and we put it down. Right? Because it seems so awfully confusing. Verse 20, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Wait a second, I've heard that somewhere before. Have y'all heard that somewhere before? Romans 3.23, for me, I think Romans chapter 3, verse 10, 11, 12, and we're going to touch on that tonight. And then if you go and you were to read Romans and this is the way that I do it. When I'm reading through it, I'll be like, well, that reminds me of something else. I mean, look, you know what? And then I'll be like, well, that reminds me of something else. Because what we'll find when we go and look over in Romans chapter 3 is that we'll find that he is, in fact, quoting another passage of text. He's, we'll find that he's quoting Psalm 14 and Psalm 15 in Romans. Right? And he's saying this exact same thing here. Essentially, there's nobody good. There's nobody righteous. So, in this, I find, well, there's now there's a couple of different places that I'm looking, and now something else comes to my mind. I'm in the book of Ecclesiastes. Who is Ecclesiastes uh, written by? Solomon. Who's Solomon's dad? David. What did David write? The book of Psalms. So now you've kind of run the right race in my head of how I would come to Psalm chapter 14. And Psalm chapter 50, right? That's the path that it traveled for it to come out like that. And we're going we're gonna to go and look at that. Something that should pop into our head immediately is didn't, if he's his dad, right? If he's his dad, didn't he live before him and write these words before him? So if Solomon's writing these things. Do you imagine that he read the Psalms? Possibly. More than likely. Right? So, now then, we know what's said about Solomon in Scripture about his wisdom exceeding 
everyone's wisdom here, do you think that he forgot about what his father said when he's penning these incredibly confusing words? I would suspect not. I would suspect not. So in this, now I see this, and I'm, we're gonna, we're gonna press on a little bit more, cause there's still some other things that would seem a little bit confusing here. We're gonna press on a little bit into this, and then we're gonna start thinking about these things and seeing how we can, how we can try to make sense of the truth, because I'll tell you everything that he said here, and as we'll see next week, everything that he says through the end of chapter 7 is truth. Right? It's all truth. We're gonna, we're gonna, at the end of uh, the message tonight, we'll take a sneak peek into next time, um, since it's going to be a probably sound controversial. Um, so let's continue on. Verse twenty-one: Don't eavesdrop on others. You may hear your servant curse you, for you know how often you yourself have cursed others. That was verse twenty-one and twenty-two. And here again, when I read this the first time I come to it, I'm like. That completely breaks my chain of thought. Where do you go from good people, wise people, wicked people, foolish people, to just this seemingly random mention of eavesdropping or listening in or hearing the word that someone would say about you? Like, why would you, why would you drop that in there? Like, as I'm reading this, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to preach this thing? Because it seems like there's like 15 messages that are a little bit confused in just these handful of passages of text. How do you make sense of this? Verse 23, I've always tried my best to let wisdom guide my thoughts and actions. I said to myself, I'm determined to be wise, but I did, but it didn't work. Wisdom is always distant and difficult to find. I searched everywhere, determined to find wisdom and to understand the reason for things. I was determined to prove my, to prove to myself that wickedness is stupid and that foolishness is madness. So, the same guy that says wisdom is always distant and difficult to find is telling me the value of wisdom and also a seemingly contradictive thought on being too wise. Right? Being too wise. So now we'll go back. That's the, that's the random, as I read it, crazy thoughts that I think as I pass through the text. And I spend hours going through it again and again and again, looking at the other passages of text that my mind is led to and trying to put together a picture of how these words wrap in together with the full picture of what Scripture is telling us. And questions for me come up along the way. So these are questions that I tend to ask to you that I have already asked to myself in the preparation at this point. So the question, the primary question that comes to me as I start this passage of text from 15 through the end of this verse is I ask myself, who am I in this? Right? Who am I here? There's, there appears to be two different kind of broad groups. The good and the wise and the wicked 
and the foolish. Right? Right? When we read verse 15, I've seen everything in this meaningless life, including the death of good young people or righteous people in their righteousness, people and the long life of wicked people. And then he's telling us in these extremes for the good, don't be too good, too wise, because it could lead to destruction. And on the other hand, for the wicked, don't be too wicked, over-wicked, overly wicked. Don't be a fool. Why die before your time, right? So we get the good, the righteous, and tied to them is wisdom. We get the wicked, and we see that wickedness tends to foolishness. And I ask myself as I read this, where do I fall in this? Right? Where do I fall in this? How is it that he could say the things that he's saying here? So the first thing, another thing, and, and I think it's important for us to note, is that we're now, and y'all have been following me through up to this point, in the seventh chapter. So when I ask you what's the context of the book and the words that he's saying in this book, what should that be? What, what should your answer be to that, those who've been here? What's the context of everything that he's saying? Vanity of vanities of what? Under the sun. Right? So let's, let's not forget that. Let's not forget that. And what have we been doing this entire time as he's been doing a, a, a work and all the things that he's experienced and that he's seen to tell us what he's seen, the results of the things that he's seen, and the foolishness therein. Right? So, when I'm reading this and I'm looking at this and I'm asking myself, who am I? Am I good or am I wicked? There's some context that that falls into. So I would say, well, what about under the sun? What would y'all say about me? Under the sun. Good or wicked? Surely if y'all thought I was wicked, you wouldn't be here, right? Unless you just thought that was cool or something. I don't know. So, so y'all probably would, if you had only two options, you would say he's good, but he's not too good. (laughs) So good? Well, what do you think of yourselves? How many of you? Good. Y'all can raise your hands. (laughs) Maybe it's a trick question. (laughs) Possibly. Right? How many of you? Be honest. Be honest. How many of you are wicked? We'll do it. I should have asked that one first. How many of you are wicked? And now we have our answer for good. Right? Now I want us to think about that. I want us to be honest in that. Because when you answer that question about, am I wicked or not? Then you're either on some gradient of just a little wicked to extremely wicked. Or you're on the other side, good to exceedingly good. Right? So, so before we go on, I want to give you another chance to jump over to the good side. How many of you good? Right? I'm going to raise my hand and say, and I'm going to context this. (laughs) I'm going to say, under the sun, I'm a pretty good guy. Under the sun. (laughs) Let me context that because we're going to, we're going to see the trick question here in a little bit, right? So, 
Because here's, here's, and the reason I say this, the reason I point this out is because when you read a passage of text like this, I've seen everything in this meaningless life, including the death of good young people. What happens in your mind? You question the fairness of God. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. When we see it happen, people that we consider to be good people dying young, what do we think of that? It's injustice we think of. That is injustice, right? Why do we think it that way? And these are, again, questions that I ask myself. Why is it that when I see somebody that I think is good dying young instead of dying old, why do I make a distinction between death of a young person and death of an old person when they're both dead at the end of the day? It shorted us. It shorted us because we deserve something. Right? Right? I want us to think about this. Because when we feel shorted, we feel shorted because we feel like we deserved more than we were given. Now I want us in this to consider the state of the heart there. Right? The state of the heart is not I was given this number of years as a gift, but my gift was not big enough. Hello, anybody that's got kids that's open presents on Christmas, right? You bought them everything that they thought that they needed. And my parents used to play cruel jokes. (laughs) It was so that the Lord could cause me to reflect back on it later and realize... You know, you're a sinful person. Maybe you don't fall into the, maybe you don't fall into the good camp after all. They used to would save the best one for last. And I'm, I'm serious. Like they would let us go on thinking that it was, that was it. Right? That was it. Like we're playing with our toys that, that at this point are not good enough. Even though they were gifts to us, they were not good enough. You know, cause that one that we really, really, really wanted wasn't there. And then, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Cameron, don't you? You know exactly what, I see you shaking, shaking your head back there. <laughs> They'll still buy you stuff, Chris. That's <laughs> it. That's it. It's over. No more Christmas from the parents. <laughs> so we feel shorted though, don't we? And I think that tells us something. About ourselves. Well, we, we don't look at this day as a gift. We don't look at this day as a gift. We look at it as something that is owed to us. And we look at it as something that's owed to us, ultimately because though you may not have raised your hands saying, I fall in the good camp, in your heart, you fall in the good camp. And in your heart... You think to yourself, I'm likely bordering on that too much good. I'm going to have to check that a little bit. Maybe sprinkle in a little bit of wickedness somewhere along the way. So that I, can, I can have a moderate life, right? Like that's, that's what happens. You think very, very, very highly of yourself. Whether you... Say it or not, whether you deny it or not. Think very highly of yourself. 
And, and something I want us to understand is the way that we view ourselves tends to shape the way that we view God. Right? Because when you view yourself as the person rubbing the genie's lamp, and Him owing you something that He must give you, then you really, what you're saying is that I want to be God in that. Right? And that's the state of the heart that we have. And I think when we read Scripture, especially these kind of passages of text that God has intended it to be difficult for us to dig into, because what happens is in the digging in, and you'll find this out next time, in the digging in, His Word implants itself in such a way as that when it clicks, it blows up everything around it. It shatters things, forcing you into change. Right? Forcing you into change. So, when we see these kind of passages of text that are difficult, let us not avoid them. Let us dig in. Cautiously. Because it's going to blow our minds. Right? So when we, when we look at this, when we think about these things, when we think about, as we start looking at this, these good people and these wicked people, one thing I think we need to, we need to be very comfortable with is being honest with ourselves on where we fall. Like most of you didn't raise your hand on the, on the good side because you're sitting by people that know you. <laughs> right? And, and they would be like, uh-huh. And then we'll start seeing how that other passage of text down there starts tying in about eavesdropping or listening in on what others think about us. So as we think about these things, as we dig into these things, as we consider these things, we start seeing how God's Word, not only does it make sense, but when we dig in, it makes more sense than we could ever imagine it making. So, with this considered, verse 16, chapter 7, Ecclesiastes. So don't be too good or too wise. Why destroy yourself? And I ask you the question, are you good? We're going to examine... Your answer, you don't have to raise your hand. We're going to examine your answer by Scripture to see if you're good. I want to go ahead and tell you, you're not. Maybe under the sun, right? Maybe under the sun to the people that don't know you enough. You may seem good. Maybe to yourself. Because our memories are limited, we can only remember so many of the bad things that we've done, and most of the ones that we've remembered, we can justify in our own hearts, in our own minds. So we consider ourselves good. 
And the, the extreme that he's leading us against, that he's warning us of here, we find happen in Scripture. Go look at the Pharisees. Go look at the Pharisees. When your picture of what is good is based around the people that you know and your picture of what good is. You'll start thinking that, hey, I wash my hands before I eat. I keep the law. And what we find when Christ comes on the scene is He exposes this in a big way. You've never put a gun to somebody's head and pulled the trigger. No. How good a person are you? Well, you go behind their back and murder them with your words. Christ exposes how wicked we are in just how good He is. So much so that the good men of His day put Him on the cross. That's who did it. It was the religious folk. Because He comes in shaking things up. We were comfortable when we thought that we were good. We could get by. That doesn't hold up. So when he's talking here of being too good, I want you to think in your minds the kind of good that you can convince yourself that you are. This is what we would tend to term as self-righteousness. Like, I'm not going to give any one of you a break on any sin that you ever commit because I fooled myself to thinking that I've never committed a single sin. I may not say it, but we sure do act like it in the way that we expect others to forgive us our trespasses while we never forgive them of theirs. This is... The warning that he's giving us here. Don't be too good. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be there. The other warning, too wise. So on the same line of thought that we get with being too good or too righteous, we get with wisdom. And this is here referring to Wisdom that's found under the sun. Wisdom that would lead you to be puffed up and proud of what you know or what you've accomplished or what you can do or the things that you've seen or the things that you've done. Like you're not going in the dirt like everybody else. Right? This is the kind of wisdom that it's warning us against. And this is a big warning. This is a big, big warning. If you, if you know by heart, and I, some of you may, the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, then you would know immediately why I say that, that being too wise is extremely dangerous. Because these same men who were too good under the sun were too wise under the sun. And do you know what God does with worldly wisdom? He makes it look foolish on purpose. It's on purpose. 
He's going to shame those. And He openly shames those. So don't be too wise. Why? Because that, that too good, too wise, those worldly viewed goodness and wisdom will lead you where it led them. Where it led them. The people who were reading the book. The people who were reading this. They ended up there. And then I wonder, church, could we? Could we end up there if we don't pay close attention? If we don't heed the warnings? If we don't wake up? On the other hand, don't be too wicked either. This is verse 17. On the other hand, don't be too wicked. So again, my thought here prior to this, and now, now as I'm going through it, my mind is changing, so I'm like, I can't fit in the good camp anymore. I can't. Like, Scripture would show me that on a higher standard of goodness, on God's standard of goodness, I am not good. So I am wicked. And then, this passage of text all of a sudden, starts making more sense. Because none of us would just like to claim ourselves to be wicked people. We have to be shown our wickedness. And it has to be made obvious to us so that we can't deny it. And this is what's happened. All of you who have repented and turned to God have come to a point to where you've understood your wickedness. You've understood the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God, the mercy and grace of God in placing Christ on the cross. When those days... Man, we think our days are cut short. Right? He was 33. The only righteous man to have ever lived. So if you want to talk about people, good people dying young, there's been one. There's been one good person die young. Follow me now. For a quick side note, I've lost a daughter at birth. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt, as David says, as he lost his son, that, that they're not coming here, but I'm going there, that there will be a day that I will see my daughter. But I want to tell you this, that she does not get in because of her goodness. She gets in because of Christ's goodness. Because do you know what would happen to her had she have not been taken young? What happened to every single other person? Follow me here. Verse 15. And I see it. He's seeing the long life of wicked people. That's us. That's us. We're the wicked people. 
that every single day that we have is a gift. Every single day is a day longer than we deserved. And that's grace. And that's grace. So there is only one good and virtuous man. And that's going to tie in next week. So if you want to remember that as you go this week and look at the rest of the verses in this chapter, I want you to understand that there is only one good man to have ever walked the face of this earth, and his name was Jesus. So don't be too wicked either, verse 17. Don't be a fool. This is a warning to us. It's a warning to us. Now, I would say to us if you're lost, right? If you're in Christ, there's another picture that we're going to get, right? But at the point in time that this was written, the cross was not yet, right? The cross was not yet, though it would be. So here, what hope did the wicked have? And I would say this is everyone under the sun. If they could see beyond the sun and they knew what righteousness and goodness looked like, the only hope that they could have is not to go into deeper and deeper wickedness. Because what happens? It would be foolish. And what does deeper and deeper wickedness lead us to? Death. The end of verse 17. Why die before your time? Verse 15, or verse 18, excuse me. Pay attention to these instructions, for anyone who fears God will avoid both extremes. Why? Because both extremes, ultimately, in the context of where we're at in this Scripture, both extremes are dangerous. Self-righteousness is just as wicked as wickedness or the rejection of goodness. Do do y'all see that? Do y'all understand that? That to be a self-righteous person is as sinful as someone who would reject goodness altogether? This is the picture, again, of the people that we see in the New Testament that was Israel. Right? Let it not be us. Let us avoid these things. And, and as I say that even, I ask myself in my mind, well, how do we avoid these things? How do we avoid these extremes? In verse 19, one wise person is stronger than ten leading citizens of a town. So what he's not saying in the passage of text prior is that wisdom is bad. What he's saying is what kind of wisdom are you looking at? Are you looking at worldly wisdom? Are you looking at heavenly, spiritual, kingdom type wisdom? Right? Because that kind of wisdom, spiritual wisdom, for you, that would be knowledge, understanding, love for Christ, is powerful. Understand that. It's powerful. One person wise like that wise in heavenly ways, is stronger than ten leading citizens of a town. Verse 19. So here's the contrast that you get. Spiritual wisdom is so important. So important. But sometimes our sinfulness can take over there. To where we see what we've seen in past studies 
We can get into religious vanity. Right? All of that we should avoid. How do we do that? By having an honest understanding of who we are. Right? Knowing, Christian, that there is nothing good in you but what God has placed in you. And that it did not come from you, and it did not come from your efforts, or from your striving, or from your struggling. But it came by the grace of God, through the work of Christ. And let us always consider this, that not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. That includes you, that includes me. In that, let us have an understanding. Let us be a little more kind to one another. Let us be a little more forgiving of one another's trespasses. Understanding that just as you've talked about me behind my back, likely I've talked about you behind yours. And that's the example that he gives us here so that we understand that. Not a single person, verse 20, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Case in point, verse 21, don't eavesdrop on others. You may hear something, or you may hear your servant curse you. Verse 22, how would you know that they would do that? Because you've done it, yeah. For you know how often you yourself have cursed others. So, understand your state. Let's be honest with our state that we're not there yet. Right? We're not there yet. You're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm not perfect. I will fail. Let us strive together. Let us watch out for one another. Not talking behind one another's backs, but face to face. If you see me in error, come tell me. And if I see you, and I love you, what should I do? should tell you. should look out for one another. Verse 23, I've always tried my best to let wisdom guide my thoughts and actions. I said to myself, I am determined to be wise. But it didn't work. Why? Why do you suspect that it didn't work? He sought to be wise. As should we. But where are we seeking our wisdom? What is the source of that? Where do we go for that? Do we go to the world? Do we, do we go to preachers? Now, I'm not saying that preachers are bad. Now, there may be some. We'd call them false teachers, right? But your primary source here, God's Word. If you don't have one, I'll buy you one. If you don't have one, go get you one of the leather ones. We'll get you a good one, right? Pick the thing up. Most of you truthfully probably have ten or more or have it on your phone in 15 translations. Right? Let's, 
Let's pick the thing up. That's where we're going to find wisdom. That's going to be the source of wisdom that doesn't fail us. That's going to be the source of wisdom that works. The wisdom that he sought after, it didn't work. Verse 24, wisdom is always difficult or distant and difficult to find. Truth. Absolute truth. Verse 25, I searched everywhere determined to find wisdom and to understand the reason for things. I was determined to prove to myself that wickedness is stupid and that foolishness is madness. We're going to stop there for Ecclesiastes. Uh, just a couple, we're going to go over to, uh, to 1 Corinthians and we're going to get a New Testament contrast. We're going, to, we're going to see what it looks like when we compare this worldly wisdom, this worldly goodness uh, to the wisdom and goodness of God in 1 Corinthians. But a couple of passages of text, just to, if you want to go study this uh, separately, I would say Ecclesi- uh, um, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, 11 and 12, I'll read them read it briefly. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. That's Romans. He gets this from Psalm 14. Only fools say in their heart there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good. Not a single one. So those are just for side notes for you in your personal study. Uh, Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians. We're going to close with this. We're just going to read through uh, verse 18 through the end of chapter 1. This will be be it. Um, We're just going to let this passage of text stand, right? So what we've seen and learned and considered from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, now let us reflect on those truths in the light of what we find in the New Testament. Let us contrast goodness and wisdom and wickedness in a worldly perspective and let us, let us contrast those truths when we look in Christ, in the cross. What do we find? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. And this is why the warnings in Ecclesiastes are so relevant to us today. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the Scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers and the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world would never know Him through human wisdom, He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. 
It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven, and it's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. But when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united us, or united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made Him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and He freed us from sin. Therefore, as the Scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank You. I thank You for who You are. I thank You for the wisdom of Your Word. I thank You for the wisdom of Your plans. Lord, I thank You that You have seen the end from the beginning. Lord, and that You are, in fact, working all things together for Your people, for Your church. Lord, as Your Word has been preached tonight, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would move in us. Lord, let us have an honest assessment of who we are. Lord, let us have an honest assessment of who we are in Christ. Lord, by knowing how much we don't deserve, or better, knowing how much punishment would have been due to us, let us rejoice that we find favor with You, not because of what we've done, but because what Christ has done. Let us be moved by You as be moved by Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would drive us deeper and deeper still into Your Word. Lord, that You would move us to be useful, that we would be faithful servants among one another, among our families, among our friends, among our co-workers. Lord, let us understand also that we are not perfect. And let us be quick to forgive Lord, let us consider how much we ourselves have been forgiven. Lord, knowing how much you've forgiven me, how could I ever, how could I ever hold a grudge against a brother or sister? You have done so much. Let us fall before you. Let us repent. 
And let us continue in repentance. Let us believe and strengthen our belief. It's in Christ. It's through Christ. It's for His glory. Amen.